Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about celestial surprises and ruinous recollections. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Matt Demersky and the Queen of the Moths are voice talents Ryan Taylor 
and Luis Bermudez. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight was written by Matt Demersky and is performed by Ryan Taylor. Without further ado, I present to you, if the stars look strange, be wary. I was on my way to Canada to see family when the pursuit began. 13-hour drives are no joke. I've done 8-hour drives more than a few times, so I thought I'd be fine. But the mind starts to fray at 6. And I hit that agonized mental exhaustion only to realize I hadn't even gone halfway yet. It was 11.54pm CST when I pulled into that rest stop. Past midnight my time. But just creeping on it for that region of the world. And anti-noon is a very different thing out of the empty reaches of middle America. Without the omnipresent haze of city light, the star-filled sky was a looming and clawing blanket on my awareness that seemed to possess parallax for the first time I'd ever seen. As I climbed out of my borrowed family van, stretched, scanned the silent and still darkness, and began walking warily and unsteadily toward the pool of light around the rest stop building, I had the strangest notion that I could sense the different distances of the stars and even see them moving slightly. It was as if someone had hung the pinpoints of light, nearly within reach like the dome of a planetarium. I stopped right at the edge of artificial lighting that cut the sidewalk into opposite shades. Staring upward, I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. At 11.57, by my watch, a strange constant warm wind began to flow through the area. Silhouette walls of wood began to whisper and wave outlined only by eerily close stars that seemed poised to hit the metronome treetops. This prompted me to move. Traces of vague fear slithered through the heavy fatigue in my senses, and I entered the rest stop's pool of electric light. The dark red sedan rose in the edge of my vision like a bubble, emerging from the depths of a lake. It was already dark and silent, sitting in a spot at the opposite end of the parking lot, but it startled me with the realization that I was not alone here. I saw nobody on foot, so I figured they were either a maintenance man or already inside. Fixing my hair with a brief slide of my hand, I pushed through the heavy glass doors and into the small pocket of civilization the state built and maintained for drivers just like me. Yeah, there were security cameras over in that corner and a blue-lit phone stand for emergencies. I was fine. This was fine. The high clock on the wall hit midnight. The lights flickered briefly, and it occurred to me that this edifice of civilized safety could tarnish in an instant if the power went out. I froze with my hand on the door to the men's bathroom and listened. Somewhere in the building, a radio or a phone had become audible, sending out one half of a conversation that was just poor enough in reception and echo so as to be indecipherable. The male voice coming from the phone seemed to be excited and fearful, 
practically shouting long strings of urgent information to whoever was listening. I say listening because there was no break in the staticky shouting to indicate anyone was talking back. Was this a radio that someone had left on? Or maybe a cell on speakerphone someone had dropped? If it was a cell phone, who had answered? Not quite sure why, I began to back slowly out of the building. The glass doors were heavy, but quiet, and I heard the urgent crackling speech fade as each door swung silently shut behind me. Back in the warm, constant wind, I walked back to my borrowed family van with a sense of unease I couldn't shake. Now at a safe distance, I looked back at the rest stop, and that was when I first finally saw it. It was in the men's bathroom. That much I knew instantly from the position of the tall, frosted window. An idea flashed into my awareness. The driver of the dark red sedan had been on his phone, had entered the men's bathroom, and had encountered it without warning. Whoever he'd been talking with had probably been frantically shouting over the line ever since. I nearly fumbled my keys, but got the van turned on and moving despite the vice-like grip of adrenaline on my limbs. No trucks. There were no trucks in the wide parking lot. My phone was dead because I'd forgotten my charger, shaking. What to do? The next rest stop. Step on the accelerator, the next rest stop would have a blue-lit emergency phone. The rest stops were roughly 40 or 50 miles apart. Not long, it wouldn't be too long. But what would I say? What had I seen? How had I even recognized it as a monster? The creatures I'd always seen in the movies were typically of a few different but very clear types. Transmorphic like the Thing, smooth and bladed like the Alien, twisted perversions from places like Silent Hill, or animalistic like a werewolf, but the shadow I'd seen had been of something else entirely. No cars, no gas stations, no exits, just endless dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 12.54am CST and I jumped out and ran through warm, constant wind over those eerily close stars to reach these new, heavy glass doors. I froze with my hand on the second handle and turned to look back. There, close to the middle of the line of car parking lots, was a dark red sedan. Was it the same one? I hadn't gotten the license plate the first time, but how had they gotten ahead of me? I hadn't seen a single car on the road. Had they driven past with their lights off somehow? Different setup inside. It was a similar building but with more corners. I clung to the brick wall and moved quietly. The high clock hit 1am and the lights flickered briefly. I put my back to brick next to the blue lit phone and picked it up while watching the closed bathroom doors and the entrance to the vending machine area. To my surprise, the phone was already active. A male voice said, Hello? I responded with hello as well, completely taken off guard. Who is th he began to say. Who is that? I said, cutting him off, then stopping myself as I heard his question. He said, I, I, just before I said I, and I stopped, chilled, as I realized I was hearing my own echo before I even spoke. My fingers clenched wide around the phone as I stared at it from an inch away. This couldn't be real, could it? I needed to be sure. I let the idea spill down toward my mouth. Test phrase, he said. 
I bit back the words as soon as I heard my pre-echo. Ah, you got me. My blood ran cold. Somewhere in the building, that indecipherable voice talking over a radio or speakerphone rose once more, this time desperately shouting for a response. I moved toward the front, but then had a sudden notion. I'd gone that way the last time. I felt hunted and, if it was really happening, my unknown pursuer would expect that. I went through the door to the women's bathroom instead. Hurrying across, I rolled open a small window and slid out into the night. I shouldn't have done it, but I had to. I crept along the side of the building and peered around the corner. It was waiting out front beyond a curve in the sidewalk. Humanoid. Maybe that's the type of monster. But that didn't do it justice. Imagine you could take the moments of a person's life and make them stand next to one another. Imagine you had a line of children, each older than the last, just by a bit. That line becomes a line of teenagers, then adults, then old men, but all the same man. Now imagine yourself standing at the very beginning of that line and looking at all of them superimposed on one another. All visible, all transparent, all in different poses that overlay to form a century-deep blur whose elements you can somehow still tell apart if you stare hard enough. Now imagine that line starts not at birth, but at death, and the line starts with a corpse and ends with dirt and dust rotted down from ancient bones and maggot-filled flesh. A ghost? A zombie, an entity from outside of time? No wonder I couldn't identify it by a shadow in a frosted window. It was a walking timeline of death and decay bound to a grinning half-rotted skull. And that grin turned toward me as I stared. A cloud of two centuries of decomposing corpse slowly turned and began stepping in my direction. I ran. Lucky that my van was parked on this side. I reached it and drove away in a panic, watching my rearview mirror for the ghastly thing every other second. It just stood and watched me until I could no longer see it in return. No cars, no gas stations, no exits. Just endless dark highway. With my foot on the accelerator the entire time, more than happy to get a huge speeding ticket if only it meant that I could find a cop, I hit the next rest stop at 1.54am CST. Laughing darkly to myself in confirmation, I hopped out and checked the license plate of the dark red sedan parked in the dead middle of the row of spots. It was different. It was different. But so was the rest stop's architecture and layout. I'd seen enough Twilight Zones to not fall for it. The only difference was that this was actually happening. And my brain just kept running scenario after scenario trying to understand how this could be explained away. The bubble of light around the rest stop no longer seemed inviting. I slunk in, gaze darting and alert, and picked up the blue-lit emergency phone. Not hearing a dial tone, I asked, What do you want? My heart sank as that same voice replied, I'm missing a piece. And indeed, I knew what he meant. There had been one missing moment in the visible timeline of that decaying corpse entity. The one closest to still alive. The one that most human beings saw only in coffins at funerals. The thing following me was a ghost without a soul. A dead thing. 
that had not yet found a living thing to be a part of. I asked the question burning at the forefront of my mind. Why me? Isn't it obvious? It laughed. I'm your future. No. The phone began to creak under the force of my squeezing hand. Yes. Did you think you were going to live forever? I'm not dead yet. I screamed into the receiver. The voice on the other end paused before asking. Am I early? Oh my. What time is it by your clock? I looked up at the high clock on the wall. 2.05 a.m. Shit, that's right. We're on a road trip. I've got the wrong time zone. Its words initially brought me a spark of hope, but then I grew suspicious. What do you mean? When were you supposed to come? We were supposed to die at 12.54 a.m., the entity breathed, very concerned. We fell asleep while driving and suffered a fatal crash. This is CST, I shouted half hopefully and half angrily. You came an hour early, no way I'd fall asleep after that adrenaline rush. So I'm your ghost, yet you didn't die, the other continued. Because I showed up an hour early. We should meet and talk about what to do. While it seemed distracted, I dropped the phone and made a dash out of the heavy glass doors and toward my van. It turned and tried to give chase, but I'd chosen the perfect moment. The van roared to life and the headlights seared fire across its path. No cars, no gas stations, no exits. Just endless dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 2.54 a.m. CST, already darkly bitter about what I was to find. The dark red sedan was now nearly on the other end of the parking lot from where it had started. I didn't stop. I blew right on through. The radio crackled, and his voice came through on the static. I can't let you go, you know that, right? Go to hell. I slammed my hand down on the radio button. Wait! No cars, no gas stations, no exits. Just endless dark highway. I hit the next rest stop at 3.54 a.m. CST with my gas tank nearly unempty and the sky showing zero signs of dawn. In this latest lot, the dark red sedan was at the farthest possible spot. There was no more running. My gas tank wouldn't take me to the next stop. I'd had ample time to think about that, however, and I eyed the dark red sedan that was somehow part of this mysterious battle of will. The two centuries of progressively decaying corpse was waiting right there in the rest stop's light and began stepping toward me. I picked up a rock and smashed the window of the dark red sedan. As I cleared away glass and reached down to open the passenger side door, the radio inside lit up and said, Do you know what will happen if you do escape? I won't lie. Reality will pop like a punctured balloon. Have you ever heard of a ghost without a dead human being to go with it? That's never happened before. Time will... Unzip. I climbed in and began reaching around in near total darkness looking for keys. The trash-filled car stank horribly, and I found myself fighting exhaustion, nausea, and darkness to stay focused. By the time I realized the keys were already in the ignition, 
The creature was right outside the broken window, and I turned the car on and tried to drive down to reach the gas pedal with my hand, but I didn't get there. Part of the piles of trash turned out to be a man reclining in the driver's seat, and part of the smell turned out to be coming from his bloated body. Not my ghost. This man had died in his dark red sedan some time ago. Not my ghost. It grasped my pant leg through the window and I felt my jeans disintegrate up to my knee. Scrambling forward over his strangely moist, putrefying bag of flesh, I pushed the opposite door open and rolled out into the sidewalk. The unbound ghost crawled through the car after me, but vanished with an elated fading scream as it fell into temporal contact with its proper host. It hadn't cared, it just wanted a host. Any host. It had lied. With time properly bound once more, and the universe zipped together correctly, the sun rose not too long after. I was not going to die. At least, not today. But as I changed my route, and checked into a hotel to avoid falling asleep on the drive, I had to wonder. That particular ghost had lied. Was mine still out there waiting for me? That had been a very specific story the entity had told. What if that had really been my intended fate? What if I would have died, if not for the accidental intervention of someone else's ghost? It's a strange feeling. But tonight the stars again feel... oddly close. I hope you enjoyed If the Stars Look Strange, Be Wary, as written by Matt Demersky, performed by Ryan Taylor. If you enjoyed that last tale, check out more of the author's work on Amazon.com, where you'll find an assortment of his short stories and longer-length works, sure to send chills down your spine all fall long, and well into the winter months. Just search for Matt by name, that's Matt Demersky, last name spelled D-Y-M-E-R-S-K-I. More of Ryan Taylor can also be heard on his YouTube channel, where he goes by the name Demon Creep. If you enjoyed his vocal stylings, do us both a favor and check out his archive of terrifying tales there. You won't be sorry you did. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you as written by the Queen of the Moths and performed by our 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition champion, Luis Bermudez. Without further ado, I present to you Unfamiliar Roads. You know how you'll sometimes be driving? and it suddenly clicks that you spaced out for most of the trip and don't recall a chunk of time on the road? That was what happened this morning as I pulled off the freeway and realized that I had no recollection of even leaving the house. I was supposed to be at work, I thought, but I wasn't anywhere near the textile company I'd worked at for the past eight years. In fact, I didn't even recognize my surroundings. It looked like I'd left the city and ended up in an isolated forest-type area. The exit took me down an unpaved trail with no markings or any indication of where I was. 
I looked around for other cars or houses, but I didn't see anyone else, so I pulled over and got out my cell phone. With how weird the day was already unfolding, I'd been initially afraid that my cell would be dead. Fortunately, it lit up without issue, revealing my lock screen. I recognized the photo, myself, my brother, and one of his friends, but I didn't remember taking it. We looked normal at first glance, but the longer I stared at the photo, the more it felt a little off. I couldn't put my finger on it, but dread began to eat at me from the back of my mind. Clearly, something was wrong. I'm not an old man, but I've been under a lot of stress recently. I thought maybe I could be experiencing heart or brain issues like a stroke. Wasn't confusion part of that? Either way, my head was screwy, so I unlocked my phone to call emergency services. However, instead of any familiar icons, there were only two apps on my phone with a background image of a list written in my own handwriting. Don't get out of the car. Focus. This is your only shot. You only have a few hours. Hurry. Ignore any other directions from outside sources. Don't talk to the man in gray. Should anyone try to make you stop, don't. If you start to forget, say his name. I didn't know what to make of it, but upon reading it, my right temple began to throb. Something about it felt familiar, but it was like my brain wouldn't let me access that file. Important. It felt important, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Frustrated and a little scared, I tapped on the phone icon. Instead of a dial pad, the phone began ringing like I'd made a call. The connection was weak, full of static, but I could still make out the rhythmic jingle. It went on for so long that I thought no one would answer. But after a moment, the phone clicked and a woman's voice came through. Hello? She asked in a polite, smooth manner that struck me as both proper and erudite. Hello? I echoed. I think I need help. I don't know where I... I'm sorry, Mr. Stewart, she said. There isn't anything else I can do right now. I froze. Who is this? How, how do you know my name? I suggest you get some sleep, Mr. Stewart, the woman said. I wish I could do more. The call ended. I sat in silence for a long moment, staring down at the phone. After some thought, I hit the phone icon again, but nothing happened. It didn't even register as if I'd touched it. That left one more app, a smiley face in the center of the screen. I hesitated, then clicked it. The screen went dark, but I saw that it was playing an audio file. Initially, all I could hear was static, like with the phone call. But after a moment, a man's voice cut through. Sometimes a clearing. If you don't get lost, but try to stay focused, it's easy to lose it. That's why... He sounded so far away. I could hardly make out the rest of what he was saying. I turned the phone's volume up as far as I could, but it was all so muffled. Just like... A second man said, his voice cutting through more sharply than the first. That's the hardest part. So, then you... Daniel. The static continued for a moment longer, 
Then the recording ended. There was a nagging feeling in the back of my mind, like an itch just under the skin. Daniel, I said aloud, contemplatively. Something inside of me seized, and I gasped so abruptly that it made my heart jump. I had the sudden sense that I was running late, very late. I needed to get there now, only I had no idea what the hell I was late for. Regardless, I tossed the phone aside and started the car. I was moving in an instant, following the trail until it opened up onto a back road. I was on asphalt again, but the path was narrow, trees looming over me as if they may collapse on my vehicle at any moment. The vegetation was a little snowy here and there, which told me I was much farther out than I'd imagined. I've lived in LA for years, and you only see snow on the ground when you've gone pretty far inland, not like back home in Illinois. We never had dry winters there. As I turned a sharp corner, however, the snow had melted away to mud, and the trees above had become so thick that it looked like nighttime. I turned on my headlights and slowed down. You only have a few hours. I hadn't forgotten that sense of urgency, but I imagined if I crashed into the foliage that I wouldn't reach my destination any sooner. Thinking about said destination, whatever it was, made my head start throbbing once more. Up ahead, the road grew impossibly narrow, and I had to slow down even more. The trees were an unusual color, a deep red bark, smooth along the edges like some trunks looked after a forest fire. They looked soft, though, almost fleshy. Something twisted in my gut. Help! A woman screamed, running out in front of my vehicle. I slammed on the brakes just in time, skidding until I was inches from striking her. Holy fuck! I gasped, trying to swallow my heart back into my chest. Please help! The woman said. There's been an accident! My first instinct was to pull over, but as I did so, I remembered the list. How could I have forgotten so quickly? Clearly, I'd written the note for myself for a reason. The woman looked so distraught, I couldn't just leave her out there, isolated. There was blood in her hair and on her hands, tears running down her cheeks. She certainly looked like she could have been in an accident, and how could I just drive off when someone needed help? As I idled there, that nagging feeling returned. I'm not the sort of person to hesitate to help another, but something made me pause, and it wasn't just the note. The woman was gawking at me, a reasonable expression given the situation and how little I was reacting to it. I glanced at my phone again. What kind of accident? I asked. The woman started like she didn't understand the question. What happened? Was it a car accident? I continued. Yes. Out in the forest? I asked. How did you get your car through these trees? Again, the woman stared before grabbing the hood of my car. Please, help me. There's been an accident. Where has there been an accident? I shouted, my voice strained with anxiety. This wasn't right. It just wasn't right. In that moment, I had never felt so certain that I needed to trust my gut. Help! She said again, though she seemed angrier than before. I took a breath, then started to go around the woman, maneuvering in the tight space. No! She screamed slamming her hands on my hood. No! 
As I passed her, she began striking and kicking the car with surprising force. I glanced over at her to see her eyes had changed. The iris and pupil were gone now, leaving only white. Her hands, still slamming the side of my vehicle, now looked more like mangled claws. I hit the gas without thinking and nearly collided with some trees ahead. After narrowly missing them, I stopped holding back, twisting and turning until my heart nearly gave out. I raced through those woods. I had to get out of them. That was all that I knew. I had somewhere to be, right on the other side. He's out of time, I heard someone say, but far away, like it was in my own head. I looked around frantically, seeking the source. No, another voice said, just as distant. Give him another minute. He can do it. I swallowed hard and realized I'd started crying at some point. It felt like someone else was driving, not the car, but my body. I was going through the motions, even though none of it was making any sense. I had no reason to believe that I was even going the right way. I turned another corner, and, as if reading my mind, a sign appeared up ahead. Dead end. Turn around. I slowed again, but didn't stop, looking for an alternate way to go. That had been another note I'd made for myself. I wasn't supposed to follow instructions other than the ones I'd written. But what was I supposed to do if there was nowhere else to drive? I was surrounded by thick trees. The sign in front of me blocked my path, leaving only enough room for me to turn the car around and head back the way I'd come. Hey, a new voice, one I hadn't heard yet, caught my attention. I glanced at my phone and saw that the smiley face was still running. Do you remember that spot near the lake where we would go camping? The voice asked. I wasn't sure if it was a recording or not, but when I didn't reply, it continued anyway. I'd like to go back there someday. My chest tightened again, and the tears that had been flowing came harder. I closed my eyes. Daniel. The name appeared on my lips without me having consciously said it. I opened my eyes again, and the road in front of me began to shift. Oh, right. This was where I was meant to go. I recognized it now. As the trees gave way to open meadow, I saw them watch me pass from the side of the road. Figures clustered together in the fields. I couldn't see their faces, but I could feel their anger. I wasn't supposed to be here. We all knew that. Please help us. I heard a voice, a woman on the side of the road trying to wave me down. Don't leave us. A little boy cried from the other side, running behind my car as I passed. Stop. Just a little farther, a little farther. Wrong way, the signs along the road said. No through traffic. I wove around them, catching sight of a rocky area in the distance. Danger ahead, another sign warned. Turn back. I was starting to remember now. I couldn't believe I'd forgotten in the first place. Do not enter, a final sign said, bold and bright. I glanced up at it as I drove by, breathing through the anxiety. I was almost there. At the bottom of the hill that would lead me to that rocky area, I saw him standing there. He was dressed from head to toe in formal gray attire. A suit, a tie, a hat. His shoes looked expensive and polished. His face was the same color as the rest of him with about as much detail. I tried not to look at him as I passed. He waved 
when I grew closer, but I didn't slow down. I don't know how he could see me with no eyes, but it wasn't like anything else made sense here. I thought perhaps he would run out in front of me like the woman before. I braced myself for it, prepared to quickly drive around them, but he simply stood where he was, still waving as I left him there. A moment later, he was out of sight and I breathed out in relief. This, of course, was short-lived as I reached the top of the hill and found the gray man seated next to me. The breath froze in my chest and I stared right ahead, hands gripping the steering wheel with all of my might. I didn't look over, but I knew he was facing me. Down the hill we went, smooth sailing into the next patch of meadow. He was leaning closer now. I let out a shaky breath as I heard his lips part beside my ear, a wet, slick sound coming from his mouth. Moist, gurgled words slowly trickled from the gray man's tongue directly into my ear canal. Where do you think you're going? He asked in a language I didn't think that I knew. You're too late. You should turn back now. I kept driving like I hadn't heard him. Go now, or you'll answer to me. He snarled, low in his voice. Go before I rend your skin from bone. Silence passed between us, though the pounding of my heart was deafening in my own ears. Look at me, he snapped. Answer me. I turned toward the rocky clearing, and he slammed his hands on the windshield hard enough to make it shatter. Answer me. I nearly wet myself as pieces of glass flew through the air, covering the dash and seats. It rained down upon me, biting exposed flesh and nearly hitting my eyes. I would have driven off the road right there, but along with the destruction of the windshield, the man had somehow killed the car's engine as well. The car came to a stop, steam pouring from beneath the hood. Breathing quick and heavy, I looked around for the gray man, waiting for him to appear again. He didn't. I brought a shaky hand to the keys and tried to start the car again. Nothing. Up ahead, I could see my destination. It wasn't so far. I tried to start the vehicle once more in vain. I'm sorry, Mr. Stewart. The woman's voice cut through the silence. There's nothing else I can do. No, I whispered as the pieces fell into place, connecting before my eyes. No! I stomped my foot on the gas, turning the key again and again until I gave up and slammed my fist against the steering wheel. No! I sobbed, striking it over and over until pain throbbed through both of my arms. Time's up, the man said from earlier. Any longer could be fatal. I gazed out at the clearing, clenching my teeth. Don't get out of the car. I unbuckled my seatbelt and turned toward the open meadow before me. Don't get out of the car. I was on my feet the second the door was open, running without looking back. Don't get out of the car. Immediately, they were upon me. I could feel them behind me, could feel the earth shifting beneath me, trying to absorb me. The air was hot and heavy, 
Every step took effort, like trying to escape a monster in a nightmare. It was holding me down, swallowing me up. I could hear beeping, frantic beeping echoing all around me. My skin began to split and blood ran down my arms and face, but I didn't stop. Daniel! I screamed, even as it felt like the words were being torn from my throat. Daniel! They were at my toes now. Their claws were scraping at my back, tearing at my hair and clothing. I was coming apart in their hands. Daniel! I shouted once more, and he was there, sitting in the clearing, his head down like he couldn't hear me. I could feel myself slipping away, could feel them winning. Daniel, please! I reached for him, falling to my knees and crawling. The beeping was so loud now that my skull felt like it might burst. Daniel. On my belly, I dragged myself, stretching my fingers as far as I could. He looked up, finally, staring warily, afraid, like he'd forgotten to. Please, I croaked, holding out my hand, pleading for him to take it. For a split second, he didn't move. Then, the slightest bit of recognition stirred on Daniel's face. He knew me. He didn't know how, but he knew me. Daniel hesitated, then leaned forward and extended his hand to me as well. With the last bit of strength I had left, I lunged for it. The sound of beeping became one long, flat note and I was on fire. My eyes flew open, and I flailed in disorientation as I gasped for air, arching out of the ice water like I'd been reborn. It flooded back to me in waves and crashed into my skull. It was a fall. His security harness failed. I'm so sorry, Mr. Stewart. I reached out frantically, grasping for a stable surface in the darkness. Head injuries can be difficult. I don't want to lie to you. With no brain activity for this long, chances aren't good. My body screamed to life, fighting the taste of death still rushing through it. Two sets of strong arms grabbed me on either side and lifted me up. There's nothing else we can do. They helped me to my knees as I collapsed on the floor, wrapping me in a towel as I shook violently. Nothing else we can do. They braced me as I expelled water from my lungs, heaving and choking. Hey, just breathe, the man closest to me said, rubbing my back briskly. Marvin Hoff, I remembered now, and Scott Jones on the other side of me, the one who had told me about Hoff in the first place, the one who'd come here himself years ago after his daughter's car accident. Come on, Scott said, patting me between the shoulders. Get it all out, breathe. As I coughed and wheezed, I could see it on the table where they'd placed it. That framed photo of myself, my brother, and my brother's friend, Daniel. It was a photo we'd taken a few months after Daniel and I had fallen in love. Still, one of my favorites, years later. You're okay, Hoff said, still patting my back. You're, you're gonna be okay. Marvin? His assistant murmured, holding out a phone. My phone. It's the call. Marvin nodded and took it from my hand. Can you speak? 
he asked me. I coughed again, harder than before, then nodded. With a shaking hand, I accepted the phone and put it to my ear. Mr. Stewart, the doctor said in her familiar, polished voice, we need you to come to the hospital right away. I sat up and gripped the phone as tightly as I could in my trembling fingers. Why? I panted. What happened? I could hear the warmth in her voice when she replied. Your husband just woke up. I hope you enjoyed Unfamiliar Roads, as written by the Queen of the Moths and voiced by Luis Bermudez, the winner of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2019 Evil Idol Voice Acting Competition. Luis battled over four rounds in 2019 to take home the crown, and you can hear his and all of the other contestants' entries on our YouTube channel now via the playlists available on the main page of the channel or visit our website and click Evil Idol in the navigation bar to see what you've been missing. And don't forget, the 2020 contest is on now, and we're in the midst of the most competitive first round in chilling tales for Dark Knight's history. So get in there and vote while you still can to help decide who will be this year's Evil Idol. Thanks so much for your time and for checking out the competition. We and the candidates appreciate your support. I'd also like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. As a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012, and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when once again, we turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. 
If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha 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 ha